It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants Mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. We're back at our new time, at least for the next two weeks, at 11 a.m. as practices have shifted to a little bit later in the day. So we're going to go before practice and media over the course of this week because otherwise we'll be going at like 4 o'clock, and that's not going to be good for anybody. So uh, stay tuned for that. Of course, you can get in touch with us in a multitude of ways. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. On the phones at 201-939-4513. We have open lines. Give us a call, and we'll talk Giants football with you. Lance, hope you had a great weekend. How are you, sir? I am doing very well. Had a good weekend. Hope the same for you. And looking forward to entering another week of training camp here. Happy birthday, my friend. Thank you. Appreciate that. That, w- that was yesterday, correct? That was yesterday, indeed. Yes. yes. And, and my, my daughter's birthday was Saturday. Um, she had the best weekend. She, like, fell asleep on Sunday as I was trying to put her to bed. I w- am exhausted. Uh, I'm guessing <laughs> you did not have quite as, as an exhausting birthday weekend as, as my four-year-old did. Well, no, nobody was waiting for me to go to sleep and put me to bed, if that's what you're <laughs> indicating, okay? I can't say I can relate to that situation, but when you were going down that road, I actually thought that would be more of a positive for you this weekend if she fell asleep and then allowed you maybe to get some R&R in between. Yes, the problem would be is that by the time we got to Sunday night, I had two full days of not doing anything in terms of uh. like work around the house, so I'm like, I had to do laundry, and I was up until like... T- 12.15 on Sunday, finishing the laundry. Well, that's but, always lovely. Oh, yes. yeah. Always a good time. But happy birthday. Hope you had an excellent birthday weekend, Mr. Matt. Yes, it was very enjoyable. Was able to get together with the family last oh, night. Oh, did we you? Great. dinner. So uh, it was a, a very nice day. Tried to get my mind off of other things, considering in the midst of a, a very busy football season. But, yes, it, it was very enjoyable. And I hope that you and the family were able to celebrate your daughter's birthday uh, very pleasantly throughout the week. We did. Uh, did you do Manhattan or did you go back to the old neighborhood? What did you no, do? went to uh, Manhattan. Yeah, okay, everybody came good. to me. That, that's how it well. works on your birthday. You know, <laughs> I'm the one whose needs need to be met, not me. Well, very true. Elsewhere. But yes. sometimes, like, I, I always like to go back to the old hood to, you know, go to some oh, of the old haunts yes. and stuff. So, yes. But no, it was uh, an appropriate setting in Manhattan because, you know, some families in Manhattan anyway. So it, it made it convenient from that standpoint. Very good. Very good. Well, not, not a ton of news over the weekend, Lance. We do have a couple of pieces, uh, little pieces of things to talk about. We have not talked on the show about what happened at practice on Saturday. We we can do that. But we should talk about the the news that Giant fans woke up to that I'm sure made most of them pretty darn happy. Paul Schwartz in the New York Post, and then I think there were a myriad of confirmations out there that the plan is, and again, I just want to stress the Giants are not commenting on this, not confirming it. We will have Joe Judge at 1230 today, give or take. I'm sure he'll be asked about this, and at that point we'll probably have some more news on the subject. But as for now, this is just us repeating the report. Again, we are not confirming it or commenting on it in terms of its veracity. But Paul Schwartz with the initial report and then a load of confirmations thereafter that the plan is for Saquon Barkley to take and pass a physical today and get activated off the physically unable to perform list, which the folks out there know best as the pup list. And he will be heading back to the practice field here. Uh, shortly, and I'm sure, Lance, it will be a very slow ramp-up period for him. I think Paul mentioned in his story that the plan probably is not for him to play in any preseason games. That remains to be seen, what Joe Judge has to say about that. Again, that's just part of the report. But the good news, Lance, is that he's to the point now, if this is accurate, and we'll see if it is when Joe Judge talks at 1230, that he is ready to hit the practice field and rejoin his teammates to get ready for the start of the regular season. Yeah, very encouraging news. Uh, I'm with you in terms of what you indicated through Paul Schwartz's report that it would be very surprising if Saquon took part in preseason games. I just don't think it's the biggest necessity at this point. I think the goal is get him on the practice field, get him closer to maybe participating in practice within a team environment as opposed to doing some individual drills so this way he could ramp up. But I think the big key in this report is the fact that it's August 9th. And the season doesn't start, meaningful games don't start until about mid-September. So if they're activating him from the pup and he once again is getting closer to a team environment practice, we're looking at a good 30 days, John, before he has to get out there for a regular season game. More than a month. More than from now, August 9th to September 12th. It's more than a month. 
Absolutely. So that, to me, is the most encouraging news out of this because I think everybody was wondering, well, when is he going to come off of Pup and how close from him coming off of Pup will the season be? So the fact that we're dealing now with just over 30 days, I think that, to me, is the biggest takeaway, more so than reading anything else into what may develop over the course of this week. Yes, and I'm sure, I'm sure the Giants will not give a t- timetable because you don't want to marry yourself to a sure. timetable and things like this. But usually if you get a player that's able to practice within 30 days of the start of the regular season, odds are that player, unless there's a setback and you never know what happens over the course of a, of a rehabilitation over the course of a recovery that a player, you know, things have to get slowed down and, you know, things of that nature. So we don't know if that could happen, but if everything goes according to plan here, I imagine that should be enough time under normal circumstances in order to be ready for that first regular season game. Absolutely. I would say that it should line up, assuming, of course, there's no setbacks or any breaking news that we weren't anticipating. However, just to be clear in terms of factual information, John, for our listeners, remember, once a player comes off of PUP, they cannot go back on PUP because if they go back on PUP, it would be at the start of the regular season, which means that they would be missing the first six games. So he is ineligible to go back on Pup because he will be starting to take part, you assume, in practices. So the only option, and once again, I'm not saying that anything this will happen, but let's say they are considering him that he wouldn't be ready. IR, short-term IR would be the only choice for Saquon once he comes off of the Pup list. You can't be placed back on Pup once you're removed from that over the course of the preseason. Right, and obviously you can carry him on the roster as well if you need sure. to for yeah. a couple of weeks. Short-term IR now is three or four weeks, Lance. Remind me, help me. I believe it's three weeks. I don't think that was changed. Yeah, so he would have to sit out three and then return. And remember, there's an unlimited amount of people that can return from IR. So you don't have to worry about, oh, my God, if we bring back one guy, we can't bring back another guy. That's the beauty of the new rules and regulations that were placed. And those are some of the rules and regulations I think you, Patino, and I, were actually united in agreeing that those can all remain in place to give teams more flexibility with injured reserve. I think that's a good thing for me. 100%. I think it's a great thing. No different than in the NBA or other sports where an injury comes up and you're not thinking about, well, it's a numbers game. If the guy's ready to come back and it's a week before the postseason, you bring him back and you don't ask any questions. So I'm all for that, especially an injury-plagued sport such as football. The only thing that I'm sort of on the fence about is whether or not the extended practice squad should remain that high permanently moving forward. That I'm a little bit back and forth. I want to see what develops maybe over the course of this season and then what becomes of it perhaps two or three years down the road. All right, otherwise, Lance, the Giants. And by the way, I guess we should talk about the impact of this. Obviously, Saquon Barkley is a difference-making player in that a 7- or 8- or 12-yard run for another guy where the offensive line opens up a big hole. Saquon can turn that 12-yard run into a 60-yard run, a 70-yard run for a score. That, to me, is what sets him apart, is that big playability where, for one runner, 18 yards, great gain, awesome. But he can make that extra guy in the secondary miss, or he's fast enough to run past him. And that turns a explosive play into a game-changing type of play. And... If you even talk to some of the analytics guy, guys, that ability is probably more valuable when you look at, you know, expected points added, EPA, stuff like that. Getting those plays here or there over the long-term period of time has a larger effect on the amount of points your team is going to score than a guy that maybe gets five yards instead of three yards. You know what I mean? So that big playability is really something that can help the Giants. Frankly, Lance, which is the whole point of this whole exercise, right? Score more points. I think it goes without saying based on the numbers that we keep talking about from last season when they averaged 17.5 points per game. But what you're talking about also, John, relates to when Jason Garrett, I think it was maybe the first time he spoke to the media this offseason. So it wasn't the press conference that he just had. He was asked, and I thought he brought up a really good point, about some of the elements that they need to work on overviewing what happened last season. And he pointed out the fact that they need to cut down the turnovers because that haunted them in the first half of the season. So they want more clean football like we saw in the second half. The other thing, though, that he added was more explosive plays. And that falls into line with exactly what you're talking about. Wayne Goleman, I've been on the record saying this, I think had a very good season. I think they ran the ball effectively. They ran the ball effectively enough for that to have translated to more wins. Unfortunately, it didn't. But the distinct difference between Wayne Goleman and Saquon Barkley is the fact that Saquon 
can turn nothing into something, whereas other running backs, they'll maybe push the pile forward for three or four yards, but they're not necessarily going to break through many tackles and all of a sudden wow you. That's what Barkley does. So when you have Barkley back on the field, I think your chances of producing and creating more explosive plays also increases, and that's another layer that needs to be in play more consistently this season if they want to then transfer some of their lengthy drives into points, which was a big issue because it would stall around the red zone. They'd have penalties or turnovers, and then they'd have nothing to show for it. And you don't get brownie points simply because you go on an 80-yard drive and you get a field goal. It just doesn't work like that in the NFL. So they got to finish better, and the way you finish is you do that with explosive Yes, and I will say this, from a completely selfish perspective, this, again, if this announcement happens, it's just a report. We will see um, how this happens later on today when we hear from Joe Judge at 1230. I needed this for my bold prediction, Lance. If Saquon Barkley was going to set a new career high for yards from scrimmage, I need him pretty close to full strength in that first week. And for that to happen, I feel pretty good about a 30-day ramp-up period. Feeling pretty, pretty, pretty good. You should. Yeah, absolutely. Well, also, I think you look at it from the standpoint of you just want him to be out there for a high volume of games. I mean, that's the key. And also a high volume of carries in that high volume of games would be nice as well. Yes, that consistency would be nice. (laughs) And yes, if he's ready to go week one, and right now the news based on the report is encouraging if he's going to come off of Pup this early, that yes, I would say that the more games he's out there, then the better chance he has for it to be a record-breaking season. I, I don't think anybody would doubt that. But I also think, John, that even if he is, let's say, out there week one and doesn't play in any preseason games, which we were talking about earlier, it also wouldn't surprise me if they progressively get him back up to, let's say, 20 to 25 touches a game, and it may not happen immediately right out of the gates, which is why a Devontae Booker or a Corey Clement, you could see a little bit more of those guys maybe in the first two weeks of the season before Saquon gets his normal workload perhaps two to three weeks into the season. That would not surprise me. Here's the one thing I'm interested in trying to figure out before we move on to a couple other things, and then we'll get to your calls. Again, we have open lines at 201-939-4513. I know, again, folks, starting at 11 o'clock this week and next practice schedules changes we must change schedules with it you know Joe Judge has talked frequently Lance about the importance of getting these players reps in practice to simulate what they will do in games a to keep them safe and to keep them healthy right because you don't want the first time they're doing these things to be in a full speed situation And two, so they're ready to play at a high level and they can protect themselves. So I think the question you then ask yourself when you determine if you're going to try to roll out Saquon Barkley in a preseason game, and by the way, he would have, if he gets gets activated today, 20 days between now and the final preseason game against the Patriots on August 29th. That's about three weeks. It's a fair amount of time here. Do you think... Because of that philosophy that Joe Judge has repeated many times to us publicly, he would try to get him a couple of carries in that final preseason game just to get him a feel for contact so he's ready to protect himself and play at a high level in that first regular season game. It's a good question. My response would be based on, John, I think it depends on his level of participation in the scrimmages with the Browns and the Patriots, if they get him enough work by that time, because Mm. you want him to have at least a week or two of practices with his own team, but if you get him involved in some of those joint practices Mm. where they are going to tackle, then I don't know if Joe Judge in his mind is going to say, why do I need to expose Saquon Barkley to more hits in a preseason game? That's fair. Also, by the way, that you know, you're going to be mixing and matching personnel. We don't know what the philosophy is for the third preseason game, which I would say be, would be the best chance for him to play the most because it's further along from when he would be activated from Pup. So I would say if he gets work at the scrimmages, no, I don't think they're going to give him any work in that preseason. My game. guess is that next week for the scrimmages against Cleveland would probably be too soon. Right, Lance? You figure to have him out there against another team? Depending on what he does this week. If he gets out there for a good portion of this week, maybe the tail end of next week, John, it's a possibility. If it's not much of anything this week, if the activity is very slow and it's not a lot of team participation, then I would say I would be surprised then if he gets a lot of work in that Cleveland square. Well, look, they have four practices in a row here on the 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th, and the 11th being the, uh, the fan fest over at the stadium. Then they're off Friday, they have the game on Saturday, and the players are off Sunday and Monday. 
Then you have one practice on Tuesday, August 17th, before you travel to Cleveland on Wednesday the 18th, and they're not doing anything on Wednesday in terms of like a full practice. So my guest lands for these four days this week, you're going to be seeing individual work and a slow ramp up. I think the key is that practice on Tuesday the 17th, right? If he's able to do some team stuff on that day, maybe that will green light a little stuff in Cleveland. But if I had to bet, I think the practices against the Patriots is yeah. probably the more likely target. If, again, you want to keep him out of those preseason games. I don't know. Maybe they're like, all right, we think the game is actually a little bit safer because you want, or, or maybe it's a better copy of what you do in the regular season. Because, look, in these joint practices and scrimmages, these guys are still not going to be tackling guys to the ground, right? That generally does not happen in these joint practices because you want to keep guys healthy. So do you, do they want to give him a chance to get tackled to the ground in a game? I, I don't know the answers to these questions. Hopefully we'll know more from Joe Judge because I'm sure he's going to be peppered about this a lot when he speaks at 1230. 100%. I think that, you know, once again, it goes based on how Saquon's feeling and what he tells the training staff because that was the other thing that Joe Judge mentioned. He said, you know, we need to protect the players for themselves, but we also respect getting feedback from them. So, you know, what is Saquon's body telling him? The other thing that I think is important, which you were touching on, is when a player's returning from an injury like this, it's not so much about, you know, you really want to beat the living you-know-what out of them. You just want to <laughs> get them to feel what a day is like after you take some hits, so what your body feels like and what the recovery is like, because that, to me, is another good indication about where you are based on the injury, meaning is there soreness in the knee? Do you feel as if you normally felt if you would play a typical game with 20-some-odd carries? I think that's important, John, for Saquon to experience before maybe he gets into the regular season. So, yeah, if you don't feel you're getting enough of that during a scrimmage, then maybe you give him one series against the Patriots. But I will say this. A lot is going to depend on, here's the other factor, who are they playing, John, on the offensive line against the Patriots yeah, in that preseason game? Okay, If you're Joe Judge, if you're Jason Garrett, something tells me you're not putting Saquon out there if you're using that game as a way to monitor who's going to make the roster on the depth chart for your offensive Here line. Here comes Brett Heggie and Kyle Murphy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I don't think they're going to put Saquon behind that. But if the normal five, if you're going to give them one or two series in that third preseason game, I would have no problem putting Saquon behind that line. But once again, I think the bulk of your starters, you have to play them up front to also feel good about putting Saquon in that environment. Really good point. 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. A couple other small items from over the weekend, Lance. I'll talk about practice on Saturday a little bit, and then we'll get to your calls. We're going to have somebody on the line. Again, give us a call. We'll take your calls for the next 42 minutes or so until noon right here on the Giants app and on Giants.com on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Andy Jones, how little we knew thee. He was only here for a few days, Lance, and now he is gone. They decided to make a swap in wide receivers. They bring in Matt Cole, who was released by the Jets. He had been pre just the other day. He was claimed recently by the Jets on May 5th after he was let go by the 49ers. 5'10, 197 pounds. He played in the final game for the 49ers last year. Rookie free agent with the Miami Dolphins from a small Division II school, McKendry University, the powerhouse that it is <laughs> in Lebanon, Illinois. So. Just another guy to bring here to try to, to fill out the back end of that receiver depth chart, which has been pretty competitive. Well, and I think that's the goal. You hit it right on the nose. They're looking to add some competition as they determine who's going to be the fifth wide receiver or if they choose to also keep a sixth wide receiver. And also, here's the other thing, John. Because the practice squad, as we were talking about earlier, is going to stay at 16, you're also looking for guys that – you could maybe store on the practice squad. Clearly, they have to pass through waivers first. So I think that's another reason why maybe you're making some changes on the back end. As far as what he could do, you mentioned that Niners game. It was the season finale yep. last year. He did not have a lot of work. It was 16 snaps on special teams, and he made two tackles. So that also indicates to me that this is a guy who could be beneficial for Thomas McGahee to see, hey, what can we utilize him within our special teams units? And if he jumps out at you and he's around long enough to take part in some preseason games, once again, maybe he can carve out a role on the practice squad. That's how I look at a move like this. I think there's enough competition right now for us to truly feel that the five or six wide receivers that they're going to keep 
were currently on the roster. And I'd be very surprised, John, if it's somebody that's added over the next few weeks. But that doesn't mean you should overlook some of these additions because, once again, there's going to be opportunities for them to keep a few wide receivers, which we saw last season. Remember, a lot of the guys at the wide receiver position wound up spending time on the practice squad. And, you know, David Sills is a guy that comes to mind who's a versatile player who's a quarterback, unfortunately got hurt last season. But, you know, he would have been a guy that probably would have had a role on the practice squad. So they're going to look to groom some of those guys He, to me, is somebody that falls into line there more so than somebody I think that has a legitimate, reasonable shot to making the 53. Two other additions, Lance, because a lot of these roster spots are opening up now because of injuries and also some of the retirements we talked about last week. Chris Johnson, not the former running back, a defensive back. They bring in 6'3", 200 pounds, undrafted free agent back in 2019. Spent time on the Texans practice squad and on the Eagles practice squad. Uh, He was with the Saints on a... Futures contract this offseason got waived on August 2nd. Giants claim him. And that's the thing, guys. These guys are becoming available, so the Giants like him from a personnel perspective. So that's why they you know, weren't added previously. They're being added now as some rosters, the bottom of these rosters churn a little bit. And the other addition is tight end Jake Hausman. Uh, Dan Salomon loves him. He's from Ohio State. <laughs> Surprise. 27 career games. Uh, just played in five games as a senior, just three passes for 26 yards, known as a blocking tight end, which, given Levine Toilolo's injury, Lance, is not a Huge. surprise. Yeah. Paul and I talked about this last week, and we both said, look, if you're going to make an addition here, if you're going to have a fourth tight end on the roster, given Kyle Rudolph's skill set and Evan Ingram's skill set, it's probably going to be more of a blocking tight end. And this fills that role. And really, they're short right now. On tight ends, Lance, they don't have a ton of guys here uh, to do that work. You know, Tommy Stevens was brought in, the tight end at Mississippi State. Um, Nakia Griffin-Stewart is here as well. Um, Ryzen John is still on the COVID list. Obviously, Caden Smith, Evan Ingram, and um, Cole Hicatini, too, is the other tight end. So, uh, with the issues having at the vision, they needed some more bodies in there to step in. And this is an addition there with Houseman. Yeah, I think, once again, the fact that you brought up Levine Toilolo is the big rationale behind this move. You lost one of your best blocking tight ends, so now you need to find somebody that can maybe carve out a role in that department. I think what's interesting, and I brought this up on social media, and I think maybe we can hash it out a little bit here, John, before wait, wait. we get to some phone calls. Are, are you telling me social media is not a good way to hash things out and have a good conversation about things? No, I, I can't oh, okay. say that I would be it. the first point yeah. that I would okay. go to. Yeah. I just also just made a <laughs> statement on social media. I wasn't looking for that much feedback. <laughs> I think this is the forum to allow for that. But I always go back to previous years and I look at how many players were kept at a certain position. Not that it's indicative of what's going to happen this year, but if you remember, we had conversations and I had said, I think the Giants were going to keep three tight ends last year. And it turned out that was the case. But I think the three tight ends that the Giants kept, you felt good. You know what you're getting out of those tight ends. So it was a relatively easy response. Now, this year, by losing Levine Toilolo, and as you said, okay, Kyle Rudolph has been a blocking tight end, especially last year. I mean, that's essentially what they asked him to do because Irv Smith on the Vikings was the receiving tight end. We know what Evan Engram is good at doing, and Caden Smith, I think, is more of a middle guy. He's shown some flashes as a blocker, but also he could be a threat as a receiver. Do you now have the necessity where you keep four tight ends this year, and the fourth tight end is a guy that you feel good, hey, this guy could block. So that, for example, John, when they played the Seattle Seahawks and Daniel Jones missed the game, what stands out to me about that game is they pounded the football. But what Garrett did a lot in that game is he put three tight ends out there. And Levine Toilolo was one of those guys. So if you have one of those games where you're going to utilize three tight ends, if you have Caden Smith, Evan Ingram, and Kyle Rudolph as your three, Do you feel good that one of those three, or maybe two of those three, depending if you do, once again, have three tight ends on the line of scrimmage, do you feel good about the blocking? If the answer is we feel good, but we could use more insurance, there's more of an argument to be made this year to keep four tight ends as opposed to three. Yeah, absolutely. And I think last year, you know, we saw them put a lot of two, three tight end sets. I think they had more three tight end formations than anyone else in the league. They did, yeah. And you want to have blocking tight ends in those running formations. So... You know, that's when they had Caden Smith and Levine Toilolo on the field. And while Kyle Rudolph did do more blocking last year, Lance, he's not a blocking tight end by trade. You know, he's not 270 pounds, you know, moving the pile type of guy. So for me, I think it does make sense if you want to have two of those blockers, if you have Caden Smith plus somebody else. And Caden Smith's an excellent blocker, so I think he can fill that role, by the way. But if you want two of those guys, 
that can give you some beef in those, you know, 13 personnel type of situations where you really want people to think run the football or in goal line and goal to go and third and short, fourth and short. That's when I think having those two blocking tight ends is useful. So I think it'll be interesting how they decide to figure that out because I think we all know that, you know, Rudolph and Ingram are, are in. And last year, they really carried two blocking tight ends in Smith and Toilolo. So do they still want two blocking tight ends or just three tight ends enough? I don't know the answer to that. You're right. You learn so much about roster, roster formation and construction from these coaching staffs, what they prefer each year. But we just don't know what the final decision is going to be. And we get the same question about wide receivers, right? How many wide receivers are they going to keep? A lot of people assume it's going to be six. Well, I don't know about that. We'll see. But just some things to keep in mind here as we move forward, Lance, as Joe Judge tries to put together uh, his roster and final 53 for the season. The other thing to take into consideration as you were going over some of the tight ends I think a lot has to do with what Jason Garrett wants to run against certain opponents, at least in the early stages of the season. I don't think you're worried about, well, I'm going to need this personnel in our Week 14 matchup. You could always make a waiver claim or bring a guy back or boost him for the practice squad. But as far as Kyle Rudolph is concerned, I look at Kyle as a guy that can help red zone efficiency. Oh, yeah. As a receiving threat, though, John. I'm not talking about a blocker. So going back to your point, if Jason Garrett is saying, when we get within the 20, I don't want Kyle to stay on the line of scrimmage. I want him to be able to run routes so Daniel could target him in the end zone. Then you're down a tight end who you would be using as a blocker under those circumstances. So that, once again, goes back to how does Jason Garrett envision utilizing his tight end personnel? Is Evan and Kyle in those red zone situations? Are you just going to have those big guys try to win 50-50 balls for Daniel? Are you going to hold them back at the line of scrimmage? If you're going to have them as targets, then to me, once again, it necessitates needing another tight end from a numbers game to have at the line of scrimmage. And that's where, once again, you get into leaning more towards four than you do to three. And that's what's fascinating about some of these conversations. And here's the other thing, John. Listen, we're talking about this right now before they played one preseason game. Yeah. So, you know, we don't know what we're going to see in the preseason. But the other thing is, and, you know, we're seeing it already, you just don't also know when injuries are going to strike. Yeah. You know, who's anticipating that Levine Toilolo would go down with a torn Achilles? And, oh, by the way, it was one of those non-contact, right? He's working out on the side, and he gets hurt. So somebody may go down in another position that we're thinking, oh, they got plenty of numbers. And now all of a sudden, you need to keep an extra defensive lineman. Or you need to keep an extra corner. Now you don't have the luxury to keep four tight ends. So you're going to have to say to yourself, hey, Kyle and Caden Smith are going to have to be our blockers, which is not a bad position once again. That's not what I'm arguing. It's just right now we're looking at it. Maybe the Giants have the luxury to keep four. Next week at this time, the conversation could completely change. 201-939-4513. Limited Giants season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat starting at just $100. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. All right, let's go to the phones. David in Connecticut will lead us off today. We do have some open lines, folks, so if you want to get in, the time is now. David, what's going on? Hey, John Lance, uh, frequent listener, long-time listener, and um, first-time caller, so uh, I, I love listening to you guys. Thanks well, for thank taking you. my call. Thanks for tuning in. Appreciate it. Um. I have a theory about uh, Joe Judge's philosophy of, of building an offensive line. I wanted to see if you guys um, agreed or not. Um, I I feel that he has gone out and looked for some real aggressive, strong running run blockers, uh, and um, I get the feeling that he has the philosophy of I can teach these guys if they if they're the strong powerful running back, running uh, blockers that I want them to be, uh, I can teach them to pass block. Um, how, how do you feel about that thought? Well, I think you also should look at, David, and you bring up an interesting point. Judge comes from New England, and I'm not saying that he's just taking his philosophy from Belichick and just carrying it over, but... Let's not be naive. He learned a lot when he was at New England. If you go back to the Patriots' tenure when Judge was there, Brady didn't have four or five pro bowlers blocking for him consistently. They developed a lot of those guys. Now, some of them they drafted in the first round like the Giants. Trent Brown, for example, was a guy they had that he went to San Francisco. They acquired him. He had an unbelievable year. He got paid by the Raiders. So my point is... 
they have developed a lot of guys. They didn't necessarily go for the big splash on the offensive line more often than not. So, yes. Well, and Lance, I, by the way, I want to put on real quick. Tom Brady also provided his own pass protection by getting rid of the ball. So 100%. Quickly. Yes. No, and that can't be overlooked. And that's why Daniel's development is going to be a big part of getting that offensive line to be able to perform at a higher rate in pass protection. The QB's got to help the O-line and vice versa. But I do think, John, based on what the caller just said, I do think that maybe Joe Judge is of the mindset. And, you know, this even goes back to Dave Gettleman in Carolina. You know, he also did not make a high draft pick for an offensive lineman. They developed guys. They took chances on guys. So I think that's in line with Gettleman and Judge. Maybe I shouldn't just say it's just Judge that if they could get these guys in, they could teach them the fundamentals, and they could get on the same page as a unit, and Daniel can improve in his decision-making, you don't need four or five pro bowlers to get you to the next level. Yeah. So I do think that's part of the philosophy. And I think it depends on the position, too, right? I think if you look at the tackles that they drafted, I mean, Matt Parrott was a pass protector. He was not a run blocker when they drafted him out of UConn, right? So he was a guy that was athletic, long, lithe, little skinny, you know, pretty good athlete, and he was a guy that you felt better about him in pass pro than run blocking to start. So that's a different situation, right? Andrew Thomas has unbelievable length. Uh, I think if you want to judge what they value by what they drafted, length at offensive tackle is extremely important to them. Parrot and Andrew Thomas both had more than 36-inch arms, which is ridiculous. So that, I think, is important to them. But the way Gettleman, Judge, and even Rob Sale, who we talked to very brief, briefly last week when all the assistant coaches are out there at the same time, you know, they've all kind of described the offensive linemen that they like and they prefer as being three things. Smart, tough, and physical. So does that mean they don't value the athletic traits? I think that's a little strong. But to me, those are the three things that they seem to find most important. Smart tough physical when they decide to um, move forward here and what offensive linemen to put on the roster and can win their starting spots. I think the, and there's a reason they put smart first. I think the mental part of this for the offensive linemen is so important because Mr. Simons can get your quarterback killed real fast. Yeah. I mean, that should always be the number one priority. John should always be the mental side of things. A center that can have a read on the defense before the snap and maybe make an adjustment because there are some offenses where the center plays an integral role. That's huge. Or a tackle that, you know, knows, hey, when I go up against this pass rusher, my fundamentals, my frame needs to be a little bit different compared to when I go up against a different type of pass rusher. So, yeah, all of those character traits, I think, are huge. The other thing that I'll just expand upon your point, because you were focusing on the tackles, well, I think Nick Gates is the definition of toughness. You know, he's one of those guys who did not have a high pedigree coming into the NFL. He had a redshirt year out of Nebraska. They moved him around at Nebraska where he played multiple positions. He paid his dues. You know, this is a guy that is not all flash. This is somebody that had to, you know, pick up his lunch pail and bring it to work every day, put on the hard hat, and carve out a role. So I think he's defined by what you were talking about. Shane Lemieux, okay, not a very high pick, but also somebody that has embraced – remember, before they drafted him, Lemieux, who had taken some snaps at center and practice at Oregon – you know, we had Mario Cristobal on, and when we drafted Shane Lemieux, he had talked about – because we asked him, well, have he had any work at center? Yeah, we practiced with him at center. But then before the draft leading up to that, he was working on his center skill set. So those two guys in particular, I think, fit into the definition of that toughness element. And also the mental side. If you can be open or you can adjust to playing multiple positions, you, know, you need to be a smart football player to be able to embrace that. You're not just going to throw anybody out there at a position maybe where they didn't have a lot of game reps in. So I think all of those guys, for the most part, fall under the umbrella. Now it's a matter of whether or not the execution can meet that. Yes. Great, guys. <laughs> Fantastic insights. Thank you so much for your uh, your thoughts. No, I appreciate yeah. you being a longtime listener of the show, and don't be a stranger. Love to have you back on the line talking Giants football. And look, I do think that based on the guys on the interior, from Hernandez, Lance, to Lemieux, you know, Gates is a converted guy from tackle, so I think he's probably a, a pretty good athlete for the position. But I, I think the, the the physicality and toughness in there is probably a little bit more important to them than the, 
you know, quickness and athleticism to deal with some of those speed guys. And if you're going to do a downhill, straight-ahead running game, which is what they did last year, now we've seen some more outside zone stuff in camp this summer, to be honest with you. But if you're going to do that power running game, those are the type of guys you do want playing guard for you. Well, you better make sure that those guys could clear out some bodies and give holes to the running backs, especially if you're going to go in that direction and you're not going to do a lot of zigzagging, which was the case, of course, with Wayne Goldman because he's a different style running back than Saquon Barkley. I also think what's interesting, I'm just you know, having some more thoughts come into my head here as we're having the conversation about the philosophy of the offensive line. Compared to where Joe Judge comes from, as well as Gettleman, versus Jason Garrett, John, because Garrett actually is coming from an organization where, you know, they were taking guys year after year in the first round, and, I mean, these guys were pro Bowl. We're talking about the creme de la creme of offensive linemen. So it's a little bit interesting how Garrett's used to having the Tyron Smiths, the Zach Martins, the Travis Fredericks, whereas Judge and Gettleman are more used to well, you know, maybe we're not going to get a guy that's going to be a three-time pro bowler over the course of his first five seasons in the NFL. So I think that's fascinating about Garrett maybe buying in to what Judge and Gettleman are preaching and then, you know, those two being open to what Garrett's worked with previously. That, I think, is a very interesting dynamic because, you know, Garrett, once again, opposite end of the spectrum, the offensive lineman that he's been working with since he was the Cowboys head coach and even the offensive coordinator prior to that. So, you know, that to me, you know, maybe calls for a little bit of an adjustment on both sides. But at the end of the day, listen, execution is what's going to define this offensive line. You know, we could talk all we want about this guy. He's got the characteristics. He's got the blueprint. He's got the background. These guys, they have to execute, whether they're first-round picks or whether they're fifth-round picks. It really makes no difference. And I know that's a cliched line, and I know coaches throw that line out all the time. But the bottom line is, you could be taken in the first round two years ago. If you're not performing, then, you know, the coaching staff's going to lose patience. And if the guy in the fifth round is doing what they ask out of him and he's preaching the fundamentals and showcasing that, yeah, of course they're going to give him the opportunity because if you don't, then you're not doing justice for your team. Instead, you're just hanging on to draft picks simply that you can hope that they could pan out maybe down the road. 100%. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how they decide to Sort all that out, and frankly, who wins the jobs when all said and done here? As Shane Lemieux, I would expect, probably starting today, Lance, he might be back in there full go here. Uh, he's kind of ramped up for a few days now. They had a day off yesterday, so I think he'll probably get more team stuff today would be my guess. We'll wait and see if that's true. And we'll see, um, you know, they've been rotating Solder, Parrott, and Thomas at kind of right and left with Thomas getting some plays off here and there. Remember, he had that offseason ankle surgery. So we'll see how they handle that offensive line as they move ahead here in camp. 201-939-4513. Don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giant Games and world-class concerts in 2021. As a Giant Suite partner, limited full-season locations are available or place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925 or visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. All right, let's go back to the phones. Lenin Columbia, Maryland has been holding the longest. Len, what's up, buddy? Hey, guys. How you doing? You must be excited. Uh, hey, we got a game on Saturday night. I know. Yeah, I'm, ex- yeah, I'm excited. Coming. <laughs> <laughs> and it's against the Jets. And you know what I say every year, John and Lance, too. Um, I, I, you know, I want to win all games. I, I, I know about this, you know, going all out and so forth, and we're not going to play Saquon. But I, I feel a lot better when they win. So, uh, you know, win on Saturday night and, uh, you know, Always beat the Jets. Let, I, I, I'm, I don't, I don't I'm care just, what you're playing them in. I'm, I'm just Go being ahead, completely honest with you. That is totally a mental thing for you, and that's fine. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. But it is, it, yeah. <laughs> okay, at least, at least you recognize it because it really doesn't matter at all. Just, just it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know. I just I like the feeling. I, I like the feeling of the Giants winning. I get and, it. Uh, I, I like it when we beat the Jets. Uh, I don't care what you know, playing them in basketball or whatever, like the old days. Uh, you know, always beat the Jets. Um, you, in, in passing, about five minutes ago, you mentioned Burton, the undrafted free agent. Has he moved to tackle? Um, it's a good question. The, uh, you know, I have not paid attention exactly where he's okay. lined up, Len. I okay. believe he's right. been at guard, though. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, next step in the process with, with Saquon. Um, makes a lot of sense. Uh, Lance laid out a, you know, a possible out if he's not ready, you know, IR, and then we get him back in three weeks. 
I'm I'm really hoping we see him in in at least in that second game. Uh, you know, the division game against Washington. I I don't know if he's going to be ready to play two games in five days. Mm. But um, you know, Len, that's you know, actually we, a really good point. Yeah. I did not think about that. That is two games in five days. I wonder how they'll work that. That's actually a really good point. Well, that's more of well, a reason, I'm, though, hoping... going back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of workload. If he's playing against Denver, how much do you take into consideration you not only have a game coming up in a short turnaround, but you also have a division rival? So I think yeah, all of yeah, those yeah. things have to be taken into consideration right. when you're game playing. That's why I think Devontae Booker and Corey Clement, or however the running back depth chart plays out, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit more of them in week one in comparison to when Saquon was fully healthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm hoping that it's at least back for the Redskins game. I'm sorry, for the Washington football team game. And um, also then we got, uh, you know, eight, nine days before the next game, and he can rest up a little bit and be ready for, uh, you know, the big game against Atlanta on Eli Manning Day, uh, which is going to be, of course, going to be a lot of fun. Is there? Do you guys know? Is there a requirement in the collective bargaining agreement that you have to have at this point in time? Have to have a ninety-man roster? No. No, ninety is I just mean, you a can limit. Go with 80, you can go with eighty-four. You can go with eighty-eight. You can or, have thirty if you yeah. want. Okay. Okay. All right. I thought there may be some stance that the union would take. That you know, we're talking about jobs and. Well, remember, uh, guys but, aren't but really. Yeah, but guys really aren't getting paid in the summer, Len. You don't really start getting real checks until you get to the regular season. Yeah, I know. Right, I know. But it does cost to keep these guys around. Well, and that's I why mean, some teams probably aren't at a full ninety. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's well. well I guess <laughs> there's that's, expenses that's what I associated with additional so, players. So you don't think, but but you would agree in the regular season there is a requirement you're at fifty three. Yes, that is correct. As okay. far as I but understand, pre- it, that is correct. Okay, but in the preseason, you think we can go. You know, any number that the team wants to keep. Yeah, I mean, the Giants yeah, okay. were, I mean, I think the Giants were under 90 for, for more than a week at some point this offseason. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, as far as I know, I can double check that line. I do not believe okay. there is a min. Well, okay. they, they, there might be a minimum. Uh, maybe 30 yeah. was a little hyperbolic. Okay. But I don't, right. I'm not sure what the minimum is, but it's definitely okay. not 90. Well, and okay. realistically, let's say in order to practice, you need more than 30 yes, guys correct. anyway yes. because of injuries. So yeah, I know yeah, you right, were right. subscribing to hyperbole <laughs> there, John. Yeah. So no, well, well, I was just thinking yes. because the turn, it seems to be pretty quick. When they, when they cut someone uh, or release someone or someone goes on a COVID list or something, then they, you know, two days later, not even two days later, they pick up another guy. And I was wondering whether that's um, – that that was part of the collective bargaining. Yeah, I think that's not. just I mean, more not... simply lend a body count, and I'm not trying to use a term that may be insensitive. It's just you need the bodies. No, I, I mean, right? I you need oh, the guys okay. no, that are accessible to help you practice because you know, yeah. to your point, you could lose three or four guys due to COVID, and then all of a sudden, the Giants had a few guys retire. And, you know, Judge was even talking about this. They were at a point where they were wondering, do you have enough offensive linemen that could actually get through a well, practice? Yeah. So, you know, in all seriousness, that's why you see those transactions happen so quickly. They have a laundry list of guys who they're monitoring. They have their list. And then when somebody goes down or somebody is waived or released, they pick up the phone. They call the agent. And then all of a sudden, the guy's in camp. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Just one one other point. I I was a little disappointed the way things turned out with Fulton and Looney. But uh, that's, you know, a personal thing. Whatever they feel is best. And if they don't really want to be there then it's best than they not they you know they not be there but i was really kind of counting on them a little bit i thought it gave us some incremental improvement along the offensive line in in backup slots i didn't see either of them as i, I didn't want either of them as a long-term starter but i thought it gave us a little flexibility uh with those second stringers just in case something did happen I and mean, we had two veteran guys who you know who know how to play a little bit but I mean, again, we're not talking about all pros. Um, well, you know, at this point, that's about all I got for you. Looking forward to, you know, this season getting started. It's been a long time, as you guys know as well as anybody. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we've played a game. Let's let's go out and, yeah, you know, make some hits and uh, throw some passes, uh, make some catches, and uh, and have a good time doing it. Hey, thanks for taking my call, guys. Always good to talk to you. Hey, good to talk to you too, all right, bud. And, and, Absolutely. And he about covered all the basic premises of football right there, did they? 
Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the CBA, <laughs> roster construction. Oh, catching, blocking, <laughs> running, oh, football, okay, that passing. last statement. Yes. yes, I thought you meant the whole phone call overall. The, in all seriousness, though, the only thing that I wanted to add, because I don't think I've commented on the guys that retired, I just wanted to say, in my personal opinion, I think the more surprising one was Fulton compared to the other two. And the only reason I say that is because Fulton was actually with the team for the entire offseason. Yeah. The other two guys, John, were street-free agents. It's like, and all right, maybe I'll try to play. No, this, I don't correct. want to do this anymore. <laughs> exactly. No, and then on top of that, remember, Looney was hurt last year. Yeah. So, you know, he was, I think, also wondering, hey, is my body back to where it was? And they were making the transition to Tyler Biotish in Dallas. So I don't think it was stunning. You bring in a guy... They're wanting to see where they're at physically. Okay, hey, I'm not in the right frame of mind. Physically, I'm not there. Fine. Fulton, though, and once again, my personal opinion, he was with the T-ball offseason, so that was the more surprising one compared to the other two in terms of Todd Davis and Joe Looney, who I'm referring to. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you 100%. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Adam in Atlanta joins us next. Adam, what's going on? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Good. Uh, so uh, I know Galladay was out, has been out with a hamstring injury. What's the, do you have any status on him, how uh, severe it was? And they are not he... giving a timetable on that, Adam. So we do not have a specific time frame. Most of the reports in the media were two to three weeks. Um, the Giants have not commented on that or you know, confirmed that at all. But I will say this. In the regular season, if you have a hamstring injury, you're usually missing at least one game. You might be missing two. That would be two weeks right there. It's the preseason. There's no reason to take chances with this. I've seen hamstring injuries literally coming back and you know being re-aggravated end mm-hmm. wide receiver seasons and just ruin seasons. So for mm-hmm. me, I would take as much time with this guy if you can. Look, I'd love to get him in that last preseason game against the Patriots. That'd be wonderful. If you can't, fine. You live with it. Just make sure that hamstring is 100% when you get back there to start the regular season because hamstrings for skill position players should rightfully scare everybody because they are tough. Mm -hmm. They take a long time sometimes to get healthy. So take your time and make sure everything is good before you put that guy back on the field in a situation where he is running full speed. Yeah, those injuries can linger. I think that's the key operating word, and I don't think the last thing you want is you bring it back too soon – he pulls up, he re-aggravates it, and then all of a sudden it becomes not two to three weeks, but it becomes even longer than that. So I think you got to be kind of cautious in terms of when you bring him back and also knowing that the priority is to have him available for the regular season much more so than the preseason. Now, our hamstring injuries, are they uh, more a result of not being better conditioned or um, is it just something that is like can be like a freak thing, like a freak pull in, in – in these cases? I mean, they happen. I mean, look, sometimes it's because guys aren't in shape. Uh, I can tell you the Giants are, I mean, if you hear people complaining about how much Joe Judge makes these guys run, right? I mean, there, there, there is no shortage of Joe Judge making sure these guys are in shape. And it's not like Galladay's injuries happen like the first couple days of camp where it was obvious he, like, you know, didn't work hard. You know, the, the few weeks leading up to camp, it happened a good week into practice. So, uh, I don't think it's a result of that. Look, hamstrings and, and, and muscle pulls happen. It doesn't matter you know, how good a shape you are, and these things just happen sometimes. That's, that's a little better. Um, how's, a, how's our left tackle looking? Is he, does he show improvement from where he was uh, at the end of last year? Or Call back and ask me again after the joint practices against the Browns next week. And I'll be able to give you a better answer. <laughs> because right now, honestly, they've had three or four practices in pads. They do the, the lineman drills behind the seven-on-seven drills about 120 yards from me on the patio. So I'm basically trying to look through the entire team, trying to see the old line one-on-one drills with my binoculars. So I, w- I wish I could come here and tell you that he looks great. Um, I haven't, during team drills, seen him giving up a lot of pressures, but I'm also watching the drill. I'm not just specifically watching him. But when they get to Cleveland, I promise you, I will focus on him going up against Miles Garrett one-on-one. And then I'll be able to have a better answer for you. That's awesome. Uh, thanks, guys. I appreciate you taking my call. No, appreciate you calling in. Yeah, I think the key test for him is going to be the level of competition that's not wearing a Giants uniform. Because you, know, you and I have had conversations previously, and I've said that 
while it's great to analyze practice on a daily basis, players get a good read on tendencies of their teammates after numerous practices. So you really want to see, when you're talking about improvement, especially for a young player, you want to see them go up against players that they don't go up against practice every day, and they don't have a good read on their tendencies, so you see how they adjust. And I also think in addition to the joint practices and Whatever snaps Andrew Thomas gets in the preseason, the bigger test is also going to come right out of the gates. Oh, yeah. okay, Denver and Washington, well, they got two really strong fronts. And how he handles those edge rushers, I think that's going to be an even better indicator of where he's at in terms of his development. So I think patience with respect to where these young guys are is going to be the key word here because you're really going to have to wait and see once we get to some meaningful football as opposed to just the daily grind of practice. Yeah, and look, the preseason games matter too. Yeah. Because, you know, joint practices are great, and you see a lot during them, but it's still not the full speed of a game situation. So you're right. You have the joint pra- you have regular practice first, right? You learn a little bit. Joint practices, you learn more. Preseason game, you get a little more than that. And then the ultimate test, obviously, is the regular season when you get there. So we'll have to well, wait the, and see what happens. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, John. No, you're fine. The reason why I'm emphasizing regular season a little bit more, and you may feel differently, I also like to see how a player – goes up against a elite pass rusher or a top pass rusher over the course of four quarters. Because, you know, you could have a rough start on the first possession, and then all of a sudden you make adjustments, you get a better read on the player, fourth quarter you're playing better, or maybe you run out of right. gas in the fourth quarter. So I guess I get a better read on that with a complete package as opposed to, for example, if you're going to put Andrew Thomas in for two possessions in the first quarter of a preseason game, and you want to tell me, oh, well, the offensive line looked great. Yeah, but you also need to see how that group's going to perform in the third in the fourth quarter when they're going up against also those guys that may be a little tired or those guys that have a good rotation and the coaching staff did a good job bringing them in and out. That's why, once again, I reserve judgment for the early stages of the regular season as opposed to really saying, oh, well, you know, this guy's running through with flying colors here because, you know, he had two good, strong <laughs> possessions in a preseason. No, game. I think that's fair. I think the good thing about the joint practices, though, next week against Cleveland, you'll probably get almost a full game versus worth of reps in those two practices against Miles Garrett caliber competition against the Browns. So that's why you could argue, well, maybe you're going to learn more in those two practices, right? Because you're going to get more reps yeah. in those two practices than you'll get in a preseason game. No, I think you're 100% right. Because you're right. If you have, you know, two bad reps in two series, it looks awful. But what happens if you figure things out then and then you're great the rest of the game, all of a sudden the game doesn't look quite as bad, right? So I exactly. think you make a really good point. 201-939-4513. Chris in Connecticut's up next on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Hey, Chris. Hey, guys. How's it going tonight? We're great. What's going on? What do you got? Um, so just wanted to say, uh, first off, uh, long, long-time listener, first-time caller. So uh, thank you. so happy to be on with you guys. Thanks for calling. Um, you guys Appreciate do a, a, a hell of a job. Um, and thank you so much for all your, all your coverage of uh, Big Blue. Um, I guess what I really wanted to touch base on, because – I haven't seen anything in any of the Big Blue updates or anything on Bleacher Report. Um, the defensive line, um, the linebacker, you know, we can talk about linebackers and the secondary all we want, which I'm really excited about the secondary. But I feel like where are we at with this defensive line? Obviously, Leo's coming off of last season with, you know, uh, what was it, 10 and a half sacks, I think it was? 11 and a half. 11 and a half, um, you know, so you have Leo coming off. He just got paid. We lost Dalvin Tomlinson, who I think was ultra underrated. Um, going to miss him, but, you know, we picked up big man Danny Shelton, and then we have sexy, you know, sexy Dexy, you know, Dexter Lawrence. But I haven't heard much of them in, you know, preseason and training camp thus far. Just kind of wanted to get your take on where they're currently at and kind of what the depth looks like behind them right now. Yeah, for sure. I, I thought Saturday, honestly, if you go Giants.com, check out my practice shows from Saturday, I thought it was their be- the defensive line. It was their best practice so far this summer. Uh, they were in the okay. backfield all day. Leonard Williams looked unblockable. Running plays, passing plays, he was all over the place. Uh, Fadio Denebo had a pass rush off the edge. Uh, Cam Brown had a pass rush off the edge. David Moa. Uh, second-year player who was an undrafted free agent last year. Uh, he was winning inside and, and getting into the quarterback's face. So I thought the defensive line had a real good practice on Saturday, and, and they did a real nice job. 
that's the interior guys mostly. I did mention two edge guys. There's the problem with the edge class here, yeah. Lance, and I guess I'll let you go there with the depth here, is that so many of these guys have been out. You know, Leonard uh, – Leonard. I was going to say um, Leonard Carter. That's obviously not his name. <laughs> um, Lorenzo <laughs> Carter. Yes. Uh, he's someone that – has mispracticed now for, for, for more than a week. Uh, O'Shane Zimenez still isn't ready to go. Um, Ryan no. Anderson's on the non-football injury list. Reggie had, Ragland just came back. Yeah, right? so you have yeah. these outside linebackers that just have not really been on the field much. You've had guys like Trent Harris. Odenabo's been out there. But you haven't had your 1A pass rushers out there. So in terms of the edge guys, it's kind of been a mixed bag and trying to figure out who's even going to be out there based on all these injuries. Yeah, and that's the run-through of the linebackers. I, I would say going back to the premise of your question in terms of the defensive front, you know, one other guy that doesn't get mentioned a lot is Austin Johnson, who was with the team yeah. last year. I would not dismiss him from the conversation. I think he is going to play a significant role in helping fill the void left behind by Dalvin Tomlinson, and I agree with you. I think Tomlinson, an underrated player, and it's interesting because when Patrick Graham spoke to the media and they were asking him about the progress of the defense, and they were focusing more on the pass rush because, you know, outside of Leonard Williams, you wonder who's going to emerge. He actually said, I'm more concerned about how his unit defends the run. He brought that up. He yeah. wasn't even asked about that. And, he, and I thought, you know, that to me was important for him to say because even Patrick Graham realizes, hey, I don't have Dalvin to rely on. But I do think you're going to see Austin Johnson – and I do think you're going to see Danny Shelton. I think it's going to be a tag team effort to replace Dalvin Tomlinson. But how those guys perform is going to be critical because if you need to then have another guy help on the interior, now all of a sudden you may be losing a little bit more on the pass rush department. So those dynamics are going to be something to watch. But Danny Shelton, if you look at his production when healthy, he's a guy that could get you 50-some-odd tackles and even then some because it's now an extra regular season game. Neither of them, Austin Johnson or Danny Shelton, are big sack guys. But listen, Dalvin yep. wasn't either. So the key for them is, can they shed some blocks? Can they fill up space? Can they help stop the run and do a lot of the dirty work? And if we're not talking about them in the early stages of the season, then I would say then they're doing their job. Because we didn't talk a lot about Dalvin. And the reason why we didn't talk a no. lot about Dalvin is because he didn't have a lot of missed assignments. So that's what I would be monitoring if you're looking at the progress no. of the interior defensive line. Are we even noticing guys like Shelton and Austin Johnson? That's the key. Well, again, that's kind of where I was coming from with all of this because I haven't heard very much out of the you know interior defensive linemen. So that's, that's either one or two things. Either they're getting completely ripped behind the scenes and we're not hearing about it, or they're doing their job up front. Um, so No, look, and, honestly, uh, look, look, just to be honest with you, the reason I don't hear much about it is that they're not tackling. I mean, you, you yeah. can't really okay. see a lot with the run game and run defense and practice from our standpoint watching from the side. I'm yep. sure the coaches have coaching points off the coaches' tape and technique and stuff like that. But it's really tough for us who's watching practice to say, oh, boy, the run defense was great today. Oh, the run defense was terrible today because – no one's going to the ground. They're trying not to go to the ground specifically. You know, you're not tackling. So the run defense is really a, a tough thing to judge based on these types of practices. Yeah, because, Chris, based on what John said, if you're not tackling to the ground and it looks like the defensive lineman is going to bring the guy down, but he winds up getting two to three yards after that because yep. it was sort of a two-hand touch type of feel, how does a game play yep. out? Would you have brought him down under those circumstances, or would the guy have gotten loose and gained some additional yardage? It's hard to really get a read on that. That's why, once again, similar to how we were talking about Andrew Thomas, let's see what happens with the joint practices. Let's see what happens in the early stages of the regular season to determine whether or not these guys are going to be consistent options. But, once again... Austin Johnson deserves attention Oh, sure. in addition to Danny Shelton. I feel like, John, and maybe you disagree, Austin Johnson's sort of like the overlooked stepchild yeah. on the defensive line. Like, nobody <laughs> talks about him because he's not the flashiest player, but he's been in the league a few years. He got some playing time last year. They're going to need to rely on him as much as they're going to rely on Danny Shelton. Yeah, and, and, I, and I will close with this, and then you can make your final point, and, and we'll wrap the show. But... It is really important for the Giants to be able to stop the run um, with their seven guys up front. Their entire pass defense and their scheme in the secondary and their ability to disguise last year was predicated on the point that they were able to have two safeties deep and start there. 
And the beauty of being able to start with a two-safety deep shell and not having to bring that eighth man into the box is that you can literally play any coverage you want if you're starting with two safeties deep. You can drop that safety late and do cover three, cover one. Uh, you can blitz late and do cover zero. You can play, you know, quarters. You can play cover two. You can, you know, do cover six, a combo coverage. If you can start those two safeties deep because you can trust your front to defend against the run, it allows you to do so much more and take advantage of all the extra film study and all the smart players that they have in the secondary. So that's why, as, you know, as much as the physical yardage is important, the ability to stop the run without bringing those safeties up allows Patrick Graham and, and the rest of that crew to do so much more in the back end is what really made this defense go last year. Completely agree. So, again, guys, I know you guys got to run. Thank you so much for your time. God bless you, and keep up the great work. Hey, thank you for the call, man. Excellent point. Lance, final thoughts before we say goodbye. No, I just really love the last point you made because, once again, it's a puzzle. And when you take one piece out, how do you then replace that piece? If the guys up front don't do their job and you need to now steal guys from, it's not just the secondary, John. To add to what you're saying, what does it now make Blake Martinez have to do? Yeah. Remember, you know, Blake talked about Danny's such a big guy, he could barely see over him. Well, Dalvin was a guy that normally would get the first hit, so then Blake could be the cleanup guy. If you're not getting hits on the defensive line and guys are getting through, now Blake all of a sudden is responsible for making the stop. And if he gets through the linebacking core, now to your point, the safeties have to inch up a little bit. So that's why the interior defensive linemen are so important. And the more you don't hear about them, it means that it's not as big of an issue. You start hearing about them, you start talking about them, then that means that the Giants' run defense is struggling right off the bat. And that could then have repercussions for the rest of the unit. Yeah, you can have unsung heroes and guys playing well you don't talk about. You rarely have unsung villains where guys are playing <laughs> terribly and nobody talks about them. So yes. that'll get yeah. noticed very quickly is the point. Lance, good stuff, my friend. Absolutely enjoyed it. All right, we'll be back again tomorrow. Again, folks, just a reminder, 11 a.m. is the new time here for Big Blue Kickoff Live tomorrow. Unless you guys have switched, and I don't know, no, Lance, it is you and Detino tomorrow. Is that correct? That is a very good question. Oh, I know what you don't. It's a miracle. No, I'm that? looking at my schedule right now. No, I am up back on Wednesday. So I believe there may have, have been I have Tuesday, August tweet. 10th, Lance and Dettino. So you guys did do a switch there? Well, then we will have to discuss okay, this after guess, the show I to work things will. out. Because I may have written the wrong day down, <laughs> right. but I didn't have that. So. No worries. We'll figure it out. <laughs> For Lance Meadow and Judge Melk, somebody will be on Big Blue Kickoff yes. Live tomorrow at 11 a.m. to take your calls. <laughs> I'm happy I asked. All right, everybody, have a good one again. Joe Judge at 1230. We'll get that posted up on Giants.com. Hopefully, we'll have some type of update on some of the Saquon Barkley reports that were out there uh, from various media outlets this morning. For Lance, I'm Schmelk. We'll see you next time on Big Blue Kickoff Live.